Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Tuesday, the 7th of March in London. Coming up today... Diamond in the rough. The JP Morgan boss says a soft landing is possible, but warns of dual risks from Ukraine and China. This is Xi Jinping took aim at US policy, calling on firms to overcome Western containment and suppression. Meanwhile in Washington, could time be up for the Chinese-owned social network TikTok? Putting the sun in Sunak, connect the stocks and Bailey's 20% cocktail of risk. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers. I'm James Wilcock. Plus making it rain elsewhere, Goldman's golden goose trader Joe Montesano says he's leaving to take a break. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. Ukraine and China are among the top concerns facing the global economy, according to JP Morgan chief Jamie Dimon. In an exclusive interview with Bloomberg, the bank's CEO had this to say on the matter. The thing I worry the most about, if you go, is Ukraine. It's oil, gas, so the leadership of the world, and you know our relationship with China. I mean, that that is much more serious than the economic vibrations we all have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Diamond also told Bloomberg that even though the U.S. consumer is in great shape now, that will end at some point. However, he did offer some cause for optimism, saying a soft landing is still possible for the world's largest economy. And we'll have more of that exclusive interview in a few minutes' time. Well, President Xi Jinping says China needs to overcome comprehensive containment and suppression led by the United States. According to state media, Xi told the country's top political advisory body that private firms now need to play a bigger role in establishing technology independence. The view was reflected by China's new foreign minister, Qing Gang, who had this to say on rising tensions with America. The U.S. claims that it seeks to outcompete China but does not seek conflict. Yet, in reality, its so-called competition aims to contain and suppress China in all respects and get the two countries locked in a zero-sum game. China's new foreign minister speaking there through a translator. Qing Gang also said that the balloon incident shows that the U.S.'s understanding of China is, quote, seriously distorted. He added that he believes U.S. policy has now entirely deviated from a rational and sound track. The U.S. is moving closer to restricting access to the Chinese video sharing app TikTok. Bloomberg understands the Biden administration is poised to support a new bill on the matter from the Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Mark Warner. Bloomberg Kayleigh Lines has the details on what's driving the legislative push. 
The concern is that ByteDance, being a Chinese company, then would have that data being shared with the Chinese government. Now, it's important to note ByteDance has said it operates independently, that its data is secured through an alliance with Oracle when it comes uh, to U.S. customers. But there's been a significant amount of pushback against that, including from FBI Director uh, Chris Ray, who has said that China controls the algorithm and China can access the data. And so this is the concern here with yet another potential uh, legislation being introduced to prohibit or restrict TikTok in some form. Kelly Lyons says the measure isn't expected to pinpoint the company by name, but would give the US the power to ban foreign tech or companies when necessary. Okay, so to corporate news now, Goldman Sachs is losing star stock trader Joe Montesano. Bloomberg understands the 46-year-old recently told the firm that he's stepping down as head of equities trading for the Americas, but is yet to line up another job. He's among a group of top rainmakers at Goldman whose pay uh, rivaled that of the CEO, David Solomon. Montesano has been key in Goldman's ascent to the number one spot in equities. And here in the UK, the Labour Party says it won't cut, wouldn't cut corporation tax if in government. The issue is a hot topic as Rishi Sunak's government finalises its budget plans. Bloomberg's Samuel Etienne reports. Labour's Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves is expected to tell a conference she would rather offer investment tax relief for companies than cut their taxes. The potential next Chancellor is hitting a nerve as corporate investment is lingering 9% below pre-pandemic levels. Her party are nearly 25 percentage points ahead of the Conservatives in most polls. Many Tory MPs are pressuring Chancellor Jeremy Hunt to go further and cut business rates in his next budget. In London, Samuel Etienne, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Okay, those are a few of our top stories for you this morning. So there's lots of uh, interest in the Bloomberg story around this Goldman Sachs trader, you know, who has earned uh, so much and what he might be doing uh, going forwards. And it's sort of uh, brought to mind another piece that's on the terminal this morning about how we are actually working less than we have done in previous generations, mm. that is, but that people are actually more unhappy. So Alison Schrager has been crunching the numbers on this. And for a weary Tuesday morning, I was quite uh, entertained by it. Her conclusion, after looking at all the data around paid, unpaid work, leisure time trends over many decades, she basically says we're perhaps spending too much of our non-working time, not really relaxing. She points the finger at screen time. Yeah, which is really interesting and and kind of feeds into the question of when people actually, what people count as their working hours and perhaps don't count as their working hours and does checking your work email, you know, before you go to bed, um, you know, how does that feed into it? Because, I mean, it's interesting that the basis for this study is is, um, figures from an NEBR paper, which looked at the working hours between 1965 and 2003. I just, for comparison, went and looked at the OECD average working hour figures and they've been pretty stable over the past 10, 15 years. So there isn't really any recent trend change to that um, the OEC average still 37.2 hours that's for people working in their main jobs across mm-hmm. um, all of the member countries of the OECD the US a little bit higher than the UK um, which is much less than you would have worked you know even in the 60s but but she points out so many interesting things like actually that it's 
higher earners now who are working more mm. versus in the 60s it would have been sort of more manual labourers who were putting in more hours I thought that was fascinating also the coal snap in the UK means that the national grid has uh, again put Electricity de France sort of on notice uh, for uh, their coal-fired power station to be kind of warm and ready because it is going to get very cold yeah, just when we thought the energy crisis might be, might be over for this yeah. winter cold snap bringing it right back into focus okay so those are some of the other stories that we are watching for you let's bring you a little bit more now though from our interview with JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon he believes the US economy could still have a soft landing but that the Fed may have to do more to bring down inflation he's been speaking to Bloomberg's Ed Hammond the thing I worry the most about if you go is Ukraine it's oil gas so the leadership of the world and you know our relationship with China I mean that that is much more serious than the economic vibrations we all have to deal with on a day-to-day basis on the Ukraine question that we talked about a lot, obviously, a year ago, very shortly after the war had started, do you think now, a year in, that the West has become sort of somewhat inured to the idea of a conflict of this scale on its borders? And if so, does that worry you? Yeah, no, it, it looks a little bit like people are inured to it, but I think that's a little bit of a mistake. You know, I read a report the other day that you know, when a war goes to one year, it lasts normally lasts 10. But this is a major land war in Europe, in a free and democratic nation. You know, with hundreds of thousands of casualties already on both sides. And so I think we, this, we don't know how this is going to end. We don't know what direction it's going to take. And, and it's affecting global relationships. So Ukraine, Russia, then it's oil, gas, food, uh, how it's hurting poor countries. Uh, and it's roiling trade relationships between America, China, and the rest of the world. So this is a probably the most serious geopolitical thing we've had to deal with since World War II. Do you foresee a future where J.P. Morgan could potentially re-enter the Russian market as a business? I mean, I'm very premature to say. You know, I think if there was a one day, maybe, but it's very possible that won't happen in our lifetime. And you mentioned U.S.-China relations, obviously not at their best right now, uh, particularly post the balloons. Um, I, I wonder what role you see business playing in trying to sort of moderate those relations and, and try and keep them as, as good as possible. Well, you know, it's, it's really the government. The government has to set the rules and figure out what they want to do. And I think it's a fair complaint about government and business that we probably should have started resetting this 10 years ago. And we didn't. I don't like a choir with spilled milk and all that. But going forward, the government, and I think they're doing a good job thinking through what is national security. So think of semiconductors, rare earths, penicillin, you know, certain drugs. What's, what is unfair trade? And then, you know, at one point, sit down and have a very serious conversation with the Chinese government. You know, remember, Secretary Blinken was on his way over there to do that, and then the balloon. But at one point, they'll do that, and business is a peripheral player in that. So I think, I think business will help give advice on how to do things. If you're going to have an outbound investment controls, how do you set the way that works? That's not just a huge bureaucracy. And so, so far, all the conversations have been quite rational about it. I mean, J.P. Morgan obviously has a significant business in China. I'm sure that the government there would listen to you. What are the conversations you have just about sort of trying to, as I say, trying to maintain as cordial relations as possible between the two nations? I mean, look, for us, we're there. And, and- 
And like I said, you know, we're, we're, we're basically taking a back seat to an American government in this one. Uh, and we're going to, we obviously have to do whatever the American government asks us to do. And we're trying to engage in a conversation with our own government and with the Chinese government on what those things should be. You know, I'm hoping cooler heads prevail here. But th that, this is why Ukraine is so important. This can cause it to go in a bad direction rather quickly. So, uh, uh, you know, everyone's got to be just a little cautious. I just want to talk about the Fed for a moment. When do we get to say we're landing, be that a hard landing or a soft landing? So when does that begin to occur? You know, forecasting the futures, as you know, are very complicated. It, the consumer still has a lot more money in their checking accounts than before COVID. They're spending 10% more than last year, 40% more than pre-COVID. And it looks like they'll have excess money to spend roughly until the end of the year. And at that point, you, know, you can say, is it a little bit of a cliff? Is it a soft landing? And also, QT has now started to bite. That also is going to happen at one point, probably later this year. And that, you know, that's when you're going to know what these things do. But you, we can still have a soft landing. And the other thing about all this economic forecasting is Russia-Ukraine. I mean, that, that can change it dramatically and very, very quickly. Do you think, absent Russia-Ukraine, we will have a soft landing? I think it's still possible, but I would I look at possibilities of possible. Possible. I think a, a, a mild recession is possible. A harder recession is possible. You know, I think there's a good chance that inflation will come down, but not enough by the fourth quarter. The Fed may have, may actually have to do more. And I think a lot of things that have happened in the world. Think of the bigger trends are inflationary. That was JP Morgan's CEO, Jamie Dimon, speaking to Bloomberg's Ed Hammond. Up next, putting the sun in Sunak, connect the stocks and Bailey's 20% cocktail of risk. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO, Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. And Bloomberg's James Wilcock joins us in studio now uh, to get into the details. Rishi Sunak has given this exclusive interview to The Sun about small boats. Yes, Caroline. So it comes as Suella Brabant's in Parliament later today to introduce the illegal migration bill. It's one of Sunak's top five pledges for government to stop these small boats. And for the government, it's a real issue that they've been failing to tackle for a very long time. Net migration hit half a million last year, a record. And for small boats, people coming over in those, it was 45,000. So it's not a small amount of people. And it's something the Conservatives have pledged to stop. But one of the issues they have is with this new bill, uh, as Sunak has said to the Sun, any migrants arriving with small boats will be banned from claiming asylum or using any human rights law to stop their removal, and they will be deported. Now, as our very own Therese Raphael points out, 
there is an issue with that in that there is as yet nowhere to deport them to. There is still a Supreme Court decision awaiting on any kind of deal with Rwanda that's been talked about in the past. And Therese also adds in, there is a much bigger issue here of processing in the Home Office. If you are going to have this kind of uh, issues with asylum seekers, you need to be able to process them much faster. Mm -hmm. The Migration Service point out that it took 20 months on average to give an initial decision on the asylum claim filed in 2021. That In Germany, that's seven months. In France, that's nine. So it is a very sort of bullish statement the Rishi Sunak in one of the UK's most popular papers, The Sun, but there are still a lot of details to unpick here, all ahead of Sunak being in France this Friday for a big summit with Macron, who is the other key player in this migration crisis. Okay, uh, that's in the sun today. Let's turn to the Financial Times next. Taking interest in Switzerland's Stock Connect programme. Connect the dots for us, James. So, Stephen, we need to understand something about a global depository receipt. So that is where a company, rather than taking a full listing in another indices, gives receipts out. So another region can buy into this listing without actually having to sort of be... Uh, under the full rules of the exchange. So in Switzerland, you can have this way where a lot of Chinese companies, nine in fact, raised $3.2 billion uh, on the Swiss stock exchange last year. And that is far more than they've ever raised in New York or and in London in the previous time period. So what is happening here is a lot of Chinese companies are looking to get more exposure into Europe, but they don't necessarily want to have the same level of kind of exposure in terms of auditing risk. They used to go to London, but London has now said they want far more uh, auditing of these companies whereas Switzerland hasn't. So Switzerland is becoming the beneficiary of this move. It's not all good news for Switzerland, though. One executive at Arrival Exchange told the FT that Switzerland is very much at risk of becoming a Chinese market. With all that money in there from one particular region, if something were to go wrong, that is Mm. a big downside risk for them. Yeah, that's a very interesting story, isn't it? Uh, Andrew Bailey, meanwhile, warning MPs about the risk in the insurance market yesterday. The Times writes up that piece. Now, this has been a long-running Brexit story, Caroline. Uh, Solvency 2 is this idea of you've got to have capital buffers in the insurance industry. And under the Chancellor's Edinburgh reforms, that was set to be loosened. It's something the PRA, the Prudential Regulation Authority, and Andrew Bailey, the Governor of Bank of England, have kind of fought and lost the battle on. And so the numbers, he told the MPs yesterday, are if you do this, which is all likely going to happen, the probability of failure and leave an insurance company goes up by 20%. So from 0.5% to 0.6%. Those seem like small numbers, but you've got to remember equitable life in 2000 completely collapsed and that left the government with a 1.5 billion bill. So what Bailey is effectively saying is you are upping your risk in a small, tiny way and that may be a worrying signal. Um, one thing I want to add is in a speech in February, PR chief Andrew Woods said this compared it to Solvency UK as a new form, which he shortened to suck. So you can see how central bankers are feeling about this policy. They see it as a slightly riskier thing, but they also think this is what the government decided and it's expected to free up $100 billion in investment over every year. So it is, there are pros and cons and the government have settled on the pros. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.